you're probably wondering who's playing the piano, aren't you? Right? So Beverly is in Pennsylvania visiting a sister, and Brother Jeff is at a conference, and I realized once I told both of them they could go, I left myself in a pickle on Wednesday night. So uh, Brother Jeff came in the other day, and I think Pastor Ruben had this brilliant idea, we'll see if it's brilliant or not here in a moment, and had him play, and the songs that we're going to do tonight... So we at least have that, and then Rod's going to lead accordingly. We could have done it a cappella style, but let's try this. It's way more fun. You're up for it, right? You're up for something. It's Wednesday night, and so uh, we tried to choose the easiest song we could to sing, and we found that to be the old faithful solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So I guess we're going to stand and brother Reuben is going to hit play and brother Rod is going to sing and we're going to join and begin our Bible study. Lift your voice now. trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. His oath is covenant, His blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is soul, my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. On your solid rock we stand. That song is so true, so amazing, and that's all we need is you. Father, Father, I thank you for the people that are here tonight. I thank you for the people that are still traveling. Lord, give them travel mercies getting here. Lord, I thank you for protecting our president and the first lady and bringing them home safely. Father, I just thank you that you bring all other people that are infected by the COVID home safely. Father, I just thank you for the church that we come to, to worship you, to hear your word. Father, I just know that if someone's here tonight, 
that no one here would want them to leave without knowing the Savior in their heart. Father, if someone's here tonight and they have never opened their heart to the Savior, allow tonight to be the night that they do that. If they have questions, stay after and ask us questions. We'll be here to answer questions for them. Father, I ask you to be with Pastor as he brings another message for our house. Father, it's going to be powerful. We need you to preach through him tonight in your word, Father. Father, just be with us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you, Brother Joey. Welcome tonight. Good to have you at Bible study. Trust you had a wonderful day. And a good day serving the Lord, trusting the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I always need Wednesday night Bible study. Welcome to our online audience. And I hope and pray that you're able to enjoy your moments where you are and to get yourself in a place of concentration. I think that's important. And get ready to spend an hour tonight with your church family around the Word of God. Uh, Much to just rejoice over this evening and to thank the Lord for and to kind of make some announcements about just so that we are all on the same page We praise the Lord for the good start to our Awana program that we've had on Wednesday night. Um, The children are coming. They're enjoying that. And we praise the Lord for the spiritual results that are already happening there. If you uh, used to attend our Awana program, but you've not made your way back yet, you ought to try. You ought to bring the kids and let them enjoy that. I know they're going back to school. Let them be ministered to. And you, they will, they will greatly be blessed by that, and so will you. Tonight in our youth department, pray for our kids. They have a special team tonight from Bob Jones University that has come, and they're doing an apologetics um, class this evening. I think on the resurrection, if I'm not mistaken. And so the kids ought to enjoy that. And I know that they were excited to hear from them. And always as the colleges come in, they just do a wonderful job in our youth department and encouraging our kids as well. Uh, Thank you for praying for our Christian school. The Lord is doing wonderful things in our school and protecting us and keeping us. And we're able to uh, minister to the kids and to the homes. I would encourage you to continue to do that, if you would, please. We have all but a handful of our students back in the classroom, and so we're trying our best to uh, navigate that and to stay healthy and to do those type of things. So I would covet your prayers for our our Christian school. I don't know if it was still daylight or not when you came into the building tonight or came under the property, but I hope you could see the parking lot. I think on Friday we will do our final pour for the last little bit of the curbs. And we have poured the main parking surface. They have poured the curbs around most of it. We have poured the sidewalks. And pretty soon, all of that will be on the ground. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, right? And so I'm hoping to make the front available on Sunday. So I know this is going out over the airwaves. You can't park on it on Sunday, but I believe we're going to be able to open up one driveway, whether it be the far driveway or the close driveway. I'll have to just see which one they want us to do, which will enable people to come through and drop underneath the overhang. It has been a long, long, long time since you've been able to do that. So those of you that need some assistance, those of you that want to drop your family, and then you can go and park, uh, it ought to be, it ought to be a, a great time. 
please don't hit our new poured curb. If you do, drive yourself to another church and we will transfer your membership along those lines. Please do not do I'm just I'm just kidding about that. Um, I made an announcement. I got carried away on Sunday and forgot some things at 10.30. One of the announcements I made at 8.30 was... Uh, a request from Brother Joey for help during the day. If you're home, if you're working from home, if you're able to uh, get away a little bit, we could use some help uh, on the on the premises, whether that be at the Christmas lights or whether that be helping a little bit outside with parking lot. Uh, Joey gave me a simple description, a strong back and a weak mind. I thought that was a pretty good description of the type of help we're looking for. And so if you could do that, show up any day. Uh, of course, um, not, not this Saturday. We won't be available, but moving in, check with Brother Joey. And uh, usually from 7 to 4, I saw some people out there today. And we'll give you a little job and, and show you how to do it and accommodate that as well as we're getting prepared for things that are happening and moving forward there in trusting the Lord. Speaking of trusting the Lord, um, I have some prayer requests tonight that I sure would love for you to write down. Please do. Our folks need us to pray desperately. You may not know the name Olga Camacho. Uh, Olga would be a senior saint in our church. Precious dear lady. Came, I think, three Sundays ago. And after the church, she left and she had an aneurysm and a stroke. And she had a very difficult moment there. Her son called and said, I don't, I don't believe that mom is going to make it. And yet God protected her life. She's in the intensive care unit at Westside Regional Hospital this evening. And I, I would beg you to pray for Olga. If you have a pictorial directory, she might be in that. You might see her picture there. Uh, Judy Dullagite. Judy Dullagite had her surgery today to remove her tumor. Uh, we have prayed for Judy for months and we prayed for this moment. Um, I understand that the surgery was a success. Uh, the way it reads on my paper, she'll be in the hospital for about five days. Um, and then I know that she is in a lot of pain and she's trusting the Lord no matter what that outcome may be. So please keep Judy Dulligate in your prayers. Brother Joey and I had prayer with her this morning before she went to the hospital. And she was just filled with faith and trust. And uh, I'm excited for her. Tiffany Hernan finds herself in the hospital tonight. Um, Tiffany had a major surgery that she had to undergo, and she has had a setback in that with infection. Uh, they have checked her for sepsis. They had checked her for abscess, but they did find that she's battling some infection. I'm not sure if he, she had to undergo another surgery or not, but I know that she is, is craving our prayers tonight. And so please pray for Tiffany. Of course, pray for Mike and the girls and that God would sustain her life and protect her life. I think it would be of that, of that magnitude. Candy is seated right here off to my left. We have prayed for Candy for a long time as God has been walking her to the pathway of becoming a nurse. And I understand that this Saturday she will be taking her state board test. You look thrilled about that, Candy. You just look excited about that, right? And so she's she's asking for prayer, and uh, I know that we'll pray for her, and I know she's going to pass it, and just pray that God would just give her clear thinking and remembrance of all that she has studied. Really and truthfully, if you were to hear how God brought her to this moment, 
you would just know that it to be God's wonderful will. Mark Nading is asking us to pray for a man named Ted Billy out on the Miccosukee Reservation. If you know anything about the Miccosukee Reservation, you know the last name Billy uh, to be a very important name out there. And uh, he's asking for an unspoken prayer request for this man. Um, a man named Dennis Ramsook. Ramsook, R-A-M-S-O-O-K. His wife used to come to our church. They moved to Orlando, and he is 78 years old and was diagnosed with COVID. He is in the hospital, uh, and he has many underlying medical problems. And so his family called and said, would you please pray for Dennis Ramsook? Nadia, Nadia Charles is back there with her mother-in-law. Nadia has asked prayer requests for... Um, her 12-year-old cousin, Nicole, she is in the hospital at this moment. At least she still is in the hospital. And unfortunately, because she was born with spina bifida and she recently had a complication, she got sepsis to this. This is a 12-year-old little girl. Tonight, the doctors have pronounced her brain dead. And um, you can only imagine what that must have been for the family. Uh, Nadia's prayer request is that we pray for a miracle, that God would touch um, little Nicole. And so pray for her, pray for her family, pray that the great physician would work there. Uh, Just kind of rips your heart out. I heard Carol receiving the prayer request today, and Carol's heart was ripping out as Nadia was giving that to us. Uh, Devin is seated right down here. She has asked prayer requests for a co-worker of hers whose father is very ill. He had emergency surgery over the weekend for internal bleeding. He now has an infection in his body. Uh, he is not a believer in Christ. He's unsaved. And so Devin is asking prayer for this family. And, and no name was given out of privacy, but God know who, knows who this is. I, I want to add to the prayer request our president and his wife. I, uh, if you were here at 8.30 on Sunday, um, Brother Joey prayed for the president. And then at 10.30, I had intention to do that, and I forgot. And uh, just I, it was in my heart and in my mind, but it slipped my mind. I want to pray for our president, pray for the first lady, pray for all of those folks that have COVID, pray for our government, for our leaders. Um, just that God would be merciful and that God would continue to work and to give us the leaders that God would have us to have. And so please pray for them if you would. Sherry Boots is rejoicing and she wants the church to know that we prayed for a man named Scott who thought he was going to have to undergo dialysis. We prayed for this and he does not have to undergo dialysis. And so Sherry wants to give God praise and glory for answered prayer along those lines. Um, I'd ask you to pray for Beverly tonight. She'll be traveling back tomorrow. She she went to visit a sister in Pennsylvania, and uh, so they're spending some time, and Beverly is getting a little bit of fall. I'll see how good a Christian Beverly is, whether she's watching me online tonight, and if she is watching, hello, I love you, and I miss you. And if you miss this greeting, we're going to talk about it when you get home. So pray for her. She travels back tomorrow and uh, that God will give her traveling mercies. Veterans, we have a veterans breakfast on November 7th. And I hope and pray that you will come to the veterans breakfast. We will do our best to make sure that it is uh, that you feel safe there. There's a sign-up sheet at the welcome desk. 
please, please sign up and let us know that you're coming. I'm not a veteran. I get invited every year. I attend every year, and it's just a blessing, man, just to be able to honor our veterans. And so I pray that you will be able to do that. Your family is invited. If you know a veteran that you would like to invite, this is a great opportunity for them to be introduced to the Lord Jesus as well. And so all of those things will be just such a wonderful blessing. All right, that's our prayer request and our praise, Brother Jack. Yes, thank you, Brother Jack. The big storm that is headed up into the panhandle. And, uh, of course, I have children up there at school. Brother Jack does. Others do. Uh, I believe, according to early results today, it may have shifted a little bit to the west of them. But that whole region, that's a big storm coming in there. And they, they need our prayers wonderfully. So add, if you would, please, Louisiana, Florida, that whole Gulf Coast region. Man, they, those folks have just suffered the storms uh, tremendously throughout this hurricane season. God has been merciful to us, and we sure want to give him praise and glory for that. All right. Yes, ma'am. Miss Devin. We need to say amen to that. Everybody online is wondering what was just said. So let me share with you. Devin Newton stood up and wanted to give God public praise and glory. She was traveling yesterday and she had Lukey in the back seat, her son. And she was not really able to see him and just driving as a mother would. And then all of a sudden she was moved by the Lord to just kind of look back there. And he was purple. He was choking on something. Of course, she stopped the car. She prayed, and God enabled her to uh, perform that Heimlich procedure, and God popped out what he was choking on. And with tears running down her face tonight, she gives God public glory for protecting her son. And after that, she let us know that this is about the 100th time God has had to protect his life. And so we thank God for the great physician. Anybody else have a praise tonight? You want to take just a moment and share? I think, I think the Lord is leading us along those lines. God has done something good. Miss Tammy? Amen. 
Amen. Tammy Coe is also giving God praise for the protection of Zach, her son's life. And uh, pray tomorrow they, they have, they're waiting results from a surgeon to see what, God, what, what the pathway forward is, but God has provided and protected from there. All right. Judy. Yeah, our missionary. Right. David Harper. We have prayed for him probably two to three years now. We've prayed for David Harper. You've been faithful to raise your hand there. And he found himself with cancer again. He has a desire to... His field is where? Belize, right. Has a desire to go back. God has not opened that door. Pray for our missionaries. I had a precious missionary call me a week or two ago. And he said, Pastor, he said, I I don't want to tell you this. He said, I don't know how to tell you this. He said, but I come home and... My house is empty, and there's a letter from my wife, and she's not coming back. And um, he said, our home needs prayer. Even pastors and missionaries' homes need prayer. Don't ever stop praying for your pastor, and don't ever stop praying for others. And so I, I won't tell you who he is, but I'd ask you to pray for this man, and, and then pray for that marriage that God would, would work along those lines. Okay, one more. Anybody one more? Carolyn. And then I'm coming to you, Rod. Okay. Okay. Amen. His brother did get saved. Yeah, right. Right. Wonderful, Carolyn, that God move in that way and have a son-in-law respond that way and want his brother to be saved. Pastor went and gave him the gospel and he got saved. And then he passed later after that, right? Wow. Wow. Brother Rod? Oh, Lonia. How did you see that, Rod? You're supposed to be looking at me and you see all the way up there. Yes. I can. Amen. You return to the classroom on Friday, and you teach where? Okay. Okay, and you go back to the classroom on Friday. First time back? Yes. 
And the students will join you on Friday? Okay. 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 And you want prayer for God to be protect you. Okay, Lonya, wonderful. I sure will. All right, I'm not looking at you so I can pray. You should have raised your hand faster. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, that's why we come on Wednesday night, a big part of why we come on Wednesday night. The reason that we do that is we need to pray. And we come with our hearts full. Sometimes they're full of rejoicing. Sometimes they're full of weeping. Sometimes you just got to unload on, unload your burden. Sometimes you just got to celebrate what God has done. We give you praise tonight, Lord, and we'll start there with your good hand of God, the strong arm of God, the protection of God. We had two mothers stand up and say, our sons could have died. God has protected Carolyn stands up and says, my son-in-law had a brother that was dying and needed the Lord and he got saved before he died. I'm so glad that you provide salvation even on our deathbed, you're willing to save. How marvelous is our God. Lord, others that you just met needs and provided and Sherry Boots is giving praise for answered prayer. I know there's, there's others in the room. Thank you, God, for that. Lord, there's also heartache tonight and fear and intrepidation and need and brokenness and things that we deal with and you know those needs some of that's a physical health some of that's a mental health some of that's an emotional health some of that's protection like Lonia is praying for and all kinds of things God you're you're able to do that I lift our our sisters that are in the hospital tonight and they're they're really and truthfully Need your life-sustaining ability, God. Please do that. I beg you to do that for Olga. I beg you to do that for Tiffany, for Judy, Lord, for Dennis, for little Nicole, 12 years old, God. And a doctor pronounced her brain dead. Lord, I read in that Bible where you touched a 12-year-old and you rose, resurrected them. I, I know you can touch her. And if it be your will, then I ask you, Lord Jesus, touch her. I'm asking for a miracle. I believe you can do that. And I think we all believe you can do that. And if it be thy will, we'd ask you to do that. Minister to that family, God. Minister to Nadia as she loves them and walks with them and is light of the Lord at this time. And just give her words and comfort. Give her tears. Give her the ability to do and... And just to be Jesus in that moment to them. Something that only you can do, God. And I know you can do that. Lord, our folks that are facing uh, the storm in the Gulf Coast, I pray you protect life there. God, you are the maker of the storm. And so use the storm for how your purpose. But I pray that you would be merciful there. I think of Brother Harper tonight, God. He has a desire, but his body's filled with cancer. I pray that you would just touch him and Calm him and give him a peace, Lord, that only you can give. I think about our missionary, that him and his wife are having difficulties. Lord, you can sustain that. And I pray that you would work there. I think about a lady I spoke with just before coming in tonight. She's having difficulty in her marriage. Lord, 
Our marriages are under such attack. I pray that you would protect all of our marriages tonight. And you created marriage and you have instituted and directed it. But it takes God. It takes you. It takes your power. It takes your blessing. I pray that you do that. Lord, I, I, I lift the president and his wife. I thank you for our president. I thank you for his wife. Lord, I pray that and praise you for the, the touch that you seem to have put upon them and the healing that you've brought to them. I pray that you would guide them, God, according to your perfect will. Give them wisdom, Lord. And you direct the hearts of the king. And so you direct the hearts of our leadership. And I pray that you would do that. And I give you wonderful praise and glory. Lord, give traveling mercies. Beverly will be traveling. Others, give them traveling mercies. And we reckon a strong and good hand of God in that for our lives. Help me to teach now, God. I pray that, that you will speak to our hearts. And may we learn tonight how to have our homes separated unto you. We'll trust you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bible, if you would. We'll, we'll forego our second song for time's sake, if you would. Will you hand me my Bible? Find, if you would, Genesis chapter 13 will be our beginning text tonight as we continue our series on Wednesday night that we have started entitled, A Christian Home. And I'm delighted to see you tonight for our series. Um, I'm delighted for your heart to be here, for your interest to be here, whether you are a single person that's just beginning in your home, whether you are a young couple that's just beginning in your married life in your home, whether you are a settled couple and you've been married a while and you have children and grandchildren, or maybe you're a retiree and you live by yourself, yet you still have a home. And we live in a day-to-day when, many, uh, when, when the home is under many attack. And I don't just mean the Christian home, I mean all homes. There is a movement to destroy, which I believe comes from the enemy himself, to destroy what God has designed in the home. And the home is so important in our lives. And we're looking at that. And we're looking at it from a, a biblical viewpoint. And we're looking at it as Christians. That God would give us Christian homes. Every Christian ought to want to have a Christian home. Not every Christian home is perfect. Not every home is without pain. Suffering. Mistake, tragedy, difficulty, misunderstanding, separation, divorce, crime. A lot of things happen inside a home. I have found, as I have spent 26 years now pastoring people, that the influence of a home at an early stage in our life, can stay with us the rest of our life. In doing marriage counseling, I find that many times some of the difficulties that a husband and a wife are struggling with, you can trace back to how their home was organized. Many times you can find the way that parenting is being done in the home at that time can be traced back to how they were parented in their home. Some people leave their home swearing that they'll never have a home like they grew up in. Some people leave their home that they've grown up in hoping one day 
to have the same home. If I've learned anything about home, it's that a lot of secrets happen inside people's homes. You think you know what's going on in somebody's life, but I have found that within the walls of those homes, you don't always get to see the truth or to see the light. But I would submit to you that a Christian home, a joyful home, a purposeful home is available to all of God's people as the Lord can work. And I rejoice in that because that gives me hope. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that our God is forgiving. And I'm glad that our God is a God of second chance. I'm your pastor, but I would confess to you that in the leadership of my home, I've made mistakes. I can confess to you that I, I look back on moments in my life as, as the leader of my home and think, man, I sure wish I could have done that differently. I wish I had another opportunity to do that over again. Um, and I'm glad that God enables that many times. And so as your pastor, God laid this series on my heart. And, and I, it's tender to me. It's very tender to me. I find my personality being tender tonight. I find my voice being slower, my, 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 my words being very careful with them. Because I know I don't know everything about your home, but I promise you God knows everything about your home. I don't know everything about the desire you have for your home, but, but God knows the desire that you have for your home. And so we've been looking at the subject of a Christian home. I wish that every chair and every pew in this whole building was filled tonight. That's how important messages are in the Christian home. I'm praying that as these messages are being preached and going out over the airwaves, that God is getting them into the homes where they need to be gotten to. And so much prayer has gone into this, and I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to do not only in my home, but in your home and in the homes of our church. I began the process by letting you know what a Christian, what makes a home Christian. Uh, many people grew up in a fake Christian home. That might have been you. You grew up in a home where you did not do what they do as I, you do as they say, not as they did, right? You grew up in a home where mom and dad took you to church on Sunday and beat the whatever out of you during the week. You grew up in a home where when people showed up, it was presented as one thing and not as another. Sometimes you may have grown up in a home and it had Christian pictures and it had Bible verses on the wall, but it did not have Christ in the practice of that home. And so I wanted to be very careful to make sure that we understood what makes a home Christian and that what makes a home Christian is the same thing that makes you a Christian. And that's the presence of Christ in you and the presence of Christ in your home. How is Christ present in the home? He's present in the home as he's found in the people of the home. I know you may not believe this, and many people don't, but all it takes is for one person to have Christ in them for God to be able to give us a Christian home. We learn that from Timothy. Sometimes people think, well, my spouse is not a believer, therefore I can never have a Christian home. 
Or, Pastor, I, I've, 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 somehow I've hurt this and so I cannot have a Christian home. As long as Christ is in one of the peoples of that home, that home can be a Christian home. It was imperative that you understood the three purposes of a home. A home has as its first purpose to glorify God in and through. That's the desire of your home, that God is glorified in and through your home. The second purpose of your home is that it is a light and a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the community, to those around. The third purpose of your home is that your faith in the Lord Jesus is to be passed down to our children. By the way, Christian parents ought to want their children to become Christian. Amen? More important than their, than their GPA, more important than what school they go to, more important than their education is their salvation. You would be shocked how many Christian parents elevate education above salvation. Now, they would never say that with their mouth, but it's evident in the way they've organized their home. It's evident in what is the popularity of their home or what's important in their home. And they elevate education over salvation and godliness and righteousness. The responsibility of our homes is that our faith is passed down to our children. That our children want Jesus. They want our Jesus. They want salvation. It's not something you can force down their throat. God knows if we could, we would. Right? We would make a knuckle sandwich of Jesus and you'd open up wide. But we can't. We said that a Christian home, once we understand what makes it Christian and the purpose of it, I preached you a message on the necessity of a biblical worldview. Our Christian homes, by necessity, must have a biblical worldview, which means the Word of God is the lens in which you view the world. That means if the Bible is for it, you're for it. If the Bible is against it, you're against it. If the Bible uh, exalts something, it's exalted in your home. If the Bible cautions something, it's cautioned in your home. That means you hear yourself saying, what does the Bible say about this? Thus saith the Lord. There is a battle and an influence for the views of our home. It comes through the cable. It comes through the internet. It comes through the social media. It comes through the culture. It comes through the music. It comes through the television. It comes through the movies. Is it just me or have the commercials gotten wicked now? Right? I'm trying to watch the basketball game and I got two full grown men kissing on my commercial. I'm thinking, this world needs Jesus, right? So I got my two, my kids are sitting there. And I got a two-minute commercial on how you can take a drug to protect you from AIDS so that you can continue to live your lifestyle, right? Now, I understand. I, 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 I'm not against the protection of that. But the world is, don't, don't reckon your lifestyle with Jesus. Just take this pill so you can still sin against God. That's a viewpoint you got to deal with with your home. And then they show two full-grown men kissing like, just like, like it's nothing. Now, I know that our culture doesn't think it's anything, but the Word of God would call that sin. Amen? 
So you have to navigate your worldview. You have to navigate how your home is going to do these things. And if you just leave it open to the culture, they're going to, they're going to bring a viewpoint to your child. It's not that your home should have a biblical worldview. It must have a biblical worldview. I would submit to you that begins with you, mom and dad. Amen? Second thing we started, or another message we started last week was we talked about a Christian home is a separated home. You need to hear that word separation because separation is a doctrine in the word of God. Separation has two parts to it. There is the separating away from something, but there's the separating unto. It is away from and unto something. The doctrine of separation is taught in the word of God to Christian people. Pastor, what are we to be separated from? The Bible says that we are to be separated from the world. That's not the people of the world, whereas we don't have uh, relationships or friendships from from our neighbors. We're not to mistreat people. When the Bible is talking about separation from the world, it's talking about that world system that's anti-God and anti-the Word of God. It's talking about that world system that's founded in the lust of the eyes, in the lust of the flesh, and in the pride of life. And so the two anchors of the world system are lust and pride. And they've built an empire on those two anchors. That Those two things are not to be founded or anchors or foundational in the Christian home. And so you are to have a home separated away from an ungodly worldly system and separated unto the Lord Jesus. This is our responsibility. It's our responsibility personally as individuals, and it's responsibility in our homes. By the way, you'll never have a separated home, sir, if you're not separated yourself. Ma'am, you're never going to provide a separated home unto the Lord unless you're separated away from the world and unto the Lord yourself. Your home will never be anything but what you and I are in our hearts. No matter how much we try to manipulate that, let me give you a verse. Help me with it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also what? reap and in our homes the best biblical picture that I can give you of a man that did not have a separated home unto the Lord was a man named Lot and I took you last week to Genesis 13 14 18 and 19 and I introduced you to the nephew of Abram and his name is Lot You're familiar with Lot if you are a Bible student because you know him to be included in the destruction and the narrative of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know that he himself was not destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah, but his family, all but two, were destroyed physically 
and all of them were destroyed when it came to a spiritual destruction. Lot, we find, um, had a moment in his life where he dealt with this issue of separation. If you would look, please, in Genesis 13, in verse number 9, and for sake of time, and you can read the context, you find that word separate. In my Bible, it's in the second line of that verse. When you come into the same chapter, and you come to verse number 14, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him. Now you need to understand a little bit about Lot and his choice of separation. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Lot was blessed in his life because of the blessing of God that fell upon Abram. And when you read chapter 13 at the beginning of that, you find that Abram and Lot were both blessed. Abram was a very rich man. Lot also with him in verse number 5. And you find that as they grew in substance, they, the, they, they grew in some strife. Matter of, fact, matter of fact, in verse number 6, it says, The land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord like unto the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot, what's that two words class? Chose. All the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves. When you come to verse number 12, it says, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent towards Sodom. I would, I would submit to you that if you were to study that, Lot's... The, the story of Lot being destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah, or his family being destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah, really begins on his decision to separate. If what Lot should have done when Abram came to him is said, no, we're not going to separate. We're going to find these herdmen and we're going to either fire them or kill them or destroy them. But we're not going to let the herdmen divide us. Now stay with me here. Separation is away from something unto something else. Lot was blessed because he was with Abraham. And he let a problem with Abram 
motivate his separation away from Abram and unto Sodom and Gomorrah. The problem is, Abram is righteous, Abram is blessed of God, and because Lot is joined with Abram, Lot is blessed also. And so in actuality, instead of separating away from unrighteousness to righteousness like our homes ought to be, Lot separated himself away from righteousness to unrighteousness. He should have said, I ain't leaving. I reckon God's blessing here. I'm staying right here. I've seen many people that have a relationship problem between Christians allow that relationship problem to get them in the flesh or get them upset and they separate away from something unto something. Well, these people mistreated me, so I'm going over here. This relationship didn't break or didn't go as the way I planned it, so I'm going over here. And, and Lot made a choice to leave righteousness and pitch his tent Toward Sodom. Hold your hand here, if you would, because we're coming right back. And just look, if you would, please, at chapter 18, verse number 20. Here's the problem with the way that Lot pitched his tent. The Bible says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, The problem with Lot's decision to separate away from Abram and to separate unto the position of pitching his tent toward Sodom and Gomorrah is that Sodom and Gomorrah was wicked. It's interesting when you come down into verse number 12 of chapter 13, Lot has his tent pitched toward Sodom. Go to chapter 14 and look at verse number 12. When you come to verse number 12, Lot's tent is no longer pitched towards Sodom. Lot's presence is dwelling in Sodom. The Bible says, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. We're not told in the scripture how he goes from camped outside the city, pitched toward the city with his view, to how he ends up dwelling in the city. I'm kind of glad we're not told because it enables me to make this statement. It just happens. It just happens. And it will always happen that way. Lot pitches his tent toward Sodom, which pictures the world, right? So every night, why would he do that? He knows what the city is. What I'm sure he goes and was expressing the prettiness of the city. What a view that it had at night. What wonderful music that they play. I'm sure that he could hear the entertainment and the laughter. I'm not sure whose idea it was to go into Sodom. Maybe it was his wife's idea. Maybe he was talked into it by his kids. I don't know. But somehow, he goes from pitched outside to dwelling within. Let your pastor just teach you something. Once you cave into worldliness, it's a slippery slope downhill. 
Pastor, I, would, I never dreamed I would, I would cheat on my wife and my family. No, but usually when I trace that back, if you give me your phone, I can show you how you got there. Pastor, I never dreamed I would be a drug addict. No, but let's go back and I can show you how you went from pitched outside to dwelling right there. You put your eyes and you put your ears and you put your attention on the world. It is alluring. And pretty soon you're going to find if you're not careful, your home is going to get sucked into that position. It's a slippery slope. Lot's dwelling in Sodom. Chapter 14. God reaches out to Lot in this position, as God does most of the time. When you read chapter 14, Sodom and Gomorrah are under siege. Lot is taken captive. I would submit to you that this is God working in Lot's Life. God is not pleased that Lot is in Sodom. God is not for Lot being in Sodom. God is not for Lot being in worldliness. And God is coming after his kid. By the way, God always comes after his kids. And so they're taken. When you read chapter 14 verses 21 to 24, you will find that that eight, I mean, when you read all the rest of chapter 14, you will find that Abraham comes to the rescue of Lot. God is merciful to Lot. You would think that Lot would stop and pay some attention to what is happening. You would think that Lot would think, you know what? I separated from Uncle Abraham. I'm down in this city. The Bible says that Lot vexed his righteous soul with the deeds and activities of that city. So he understands what's going on in that city is not of God. He understands it's not biblical. He understands it to be sin. And yet he's there. He's dwelling in it. In the midst of that, he's taken captive. You would think as Uncle Abraham comes in righteousness and rescues him, he would look and say, you know what? I'm done with this worldly city. I want to come home. I find that many of God's people, after God does an act of mercy or discipline to get our attention about worldliness, we do the exact same thing that Lot did. When you come to chapter number 19, please, if you would, look if you would at verse number 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot, say the next phrase, sat in the gate. Are you kidding me? First his tent is pitched, then he's dwelling in the land, he's taken prisoner, Abraham comes and rescues him, you would think that would get his attention. And yet, he runs right back to that worldly city, right back to that place of worldliness, right back in, and now he's even entrenched deeper as he's sitting in the gate and effectively working in that city. I have found many times in my life where God has tried to get my attention, he's disciplined me, and yet, and I don't see his mercy in there. 
Maybe he's relieved me. Maybe somehow there was a, a, a merciful act in that moment. And I run right back into worldliness. Why do I keep preaching this? Because I want you to understand that that could happen in your home. Something has happened in your home. God has reached out to your home. God has touched your home. God has take, allowed your home to be taken captive. God has allowed your home to go into bankruptcy. God has allowed your home to lose its peace. Your home now is disheveled. Your home no longer is stable. Your home has been touched. Your world has been flipped upside down. And if you kind of step back at it, you have to kind of see, is that God getting a hold of my me and letting me know that God's not pleased where I am in my home? And God's removed his hand of blessing off of our home. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want God to take his hand of blessing off my home. Sometimes God does that. And in that moment, we might reckon it. But we run right back into those things of worldliness in our homes. When you read chapter eight, chapters 15, 16, 17, and 18, you realize that God is coming and God is after the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and God is getting ready to judge the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. I want you to, I wish I had time to go through chapter number 18 with you. I don't. I want to give you some truths to think about. In chapter number 18, Abraham begins to uh, pray for the city and intercede for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham doesn't want the city to be destroyed because of the people that are in there. And Abraham begins to navigate with God and negotiate with God. And God says he would spare the city at the end of that chapter. If you look at chapter 18, verse number 32, he said, Oh, let me not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Chapter 18, 32. Peradventure, ten shall be found there, ten righteous people. And God said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. You know how this works, right? Lot's got his tent pitched. Now he's dwelling. While he's dwelling, God's not pleased. God allows Lot to be taken captive. God in, Lot, God in his mercy rescues Lot. You would think Lot would say, I'm going back to the righteousness. I'm going back to Uncle Abraham. I'm getting out of the hell hole. No, he goes right back into that worldly place. Why? Maybe his wife didn't like him leaving. Maybe his kids were already invested. Maybe he saw a business opportunity. I don't know why he went, but he went and he sat right back down in the gate of that city. And God's coming. God sings by Uncle Abraham's house to tell him what God's getting ready to do. Uncle Abraham knows where Lot is. And Uncle Abraham is pleading that God would be merciful to that city. I think when Abraham got down to ten people, Abraham probably thought that would at least let Lot's family protect from the judgment of God. And Lot couldn't find ten righteous people in his own family. By the way, was Lot a saved man? Okay, right? Saved man... Blessed man who led his home into worldliness. And now, because of the worldliness that has influenced his home, his home no longer has the ability to influence Sodom and Gomorrah. Our Christian homes ought not to lose their influence. Worldliness will will suck away our spiritual influence. Lot's home was ineffective to 
let Sodom and Gomorrah know about the true and living God. That's what worldliness will do. I know the old adage is out there that tells homes and tells churches that if we're going to reach the world, we have to be like the world. I would submit to you that's not of the Bible. I would submit to you the more we're like the world, the less we're able to reach the world. When you come into chapter number 19, you read this and it really is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's really the destruction of Lot and his, of Lot's home and of Lot's family. And I just want to give you five truths real quick and I'll just have you write them down. Then you can study this on your own. It's a Wednesday night Bible study. I want you to re- look at chapter 19, verse number 7. Lot is at the door. And Lot is getting ready to negotiate these men. They're wanting to have sexual relations with these two angels that were, were in the form of men that have shown up. And they called in verse number 5 unto Lot and said, Where are these men which came into thee this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. That's, that's the way that Adam would know his wife. Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I... Pray you what class? Now you've heard that word brethren in our text, right? I read it earlier. Remember? Abraham said to Lot, I don't want to fight with you, man. For we be brethren, right? Yes, Abraham and Lot were brethren. No, Lot and the men of Sodom are not brethren. Here... Lot is referring to the worldly men in a familial relationship. He's calling them brothers. I got news for you. The unsaved world is not the brother of the child of the living God. Lot pitched his tent. He dwelt. He sat. And now he's identifying with them. The world is not our brethren. The world is not our family. The world does not share a parent with me. Our heavenly father is our God. He's not their God. We do not share the same system of belief. We should not share the same household of faith. There is a difference between a saved person and an unsaved person. There is a direction that the Bible gives you when it comes to the relation of this. We are not all God's children. The only way you are a child of the living God is if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've done that, say amen. So dad, cannot teach your home brethrenship with the world. They're not your brothers. You know who's your brother? Those of us that are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lot is identifying here as brethren. Number two, verses eight and nine. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known a man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye as 
to them is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn. And he will needs be a judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Here's the problem with worldliness in our Christian homes. Eventually, you're going to have to choose. Eventually, you're going to have to stand up for righteousness. Eventually, the world is going to put you in a place where you're going to have to receive them and reject God. Or you're going to have to receive God and reject them. Make no bones about it. The world does not love you. The world system does not love you. If Jesus is in you, the world hates Jesus. And that world system must hate you. You better teach your home that the world system does not love your home like God loves your home. You have a daughter. You better tell her that the world's going to offer you their love, but it's an unjust love. You have a son. You better tell him that the world is going to exalt him and give him position. But it hates Jesus. And eventually there will come a time when you're going to have to stand against the world. And when you do, you will see the true colors of the world. They said this fellow came in to sojourn with us. And we're going to now deal worse with you than you could ever Imagine making friends with the world system is a dangerous friendship and it will be challenged. You better hear your pastor on this as we organize our Christian homes. The unsaved world is not my brethren. My brethren are my believers and my brothers in Christ. Eventually, if I lead my home into worldliness, I'm going to have to decide how far I'm going to go. And when I do have to make that stand, you better believe the world is going to turn on me. And you better believe that the world is going to offer you their love as long as you do not present Jesus Christ to them. But there's coming a day when you're going to be forced to either acknowledge him or deny him. And Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you to who? Right. So what are you going to do when you show up to the world's party and they want you to party? What are you going to do when the world wants your sanction on? What are you going to do when they want your morality? What are you going to do when they want your sexuality? What are you going to do when they want your taste? What are you going to do when they want you to curse the Lord? What are you going to do when they want you to participate? I submit to you that we should not put ourselves in those positions. I'll say amen to that. 
19, verse number 14, I told you I began the series with this. Lot becomes a joke. All of a sudden, Lot realizes what God is doing. He realizes the judgment of God, and Lot tries to go out and reach his family, but he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-laws. He became a joke. His power had been stripped. His influence had been lost. His soul has been vexed. God is moving to judge. His family is in the crosshairs. And Lot would give anything. If he could do it all over again. When you read chapter 19 verse number 29. You find. That the only one to make it out alive. Is Lot and his two daughters. Lot made it out. Of that worldly city. His wife didn't. Some of his children didn't. Sons-in-laws didn't. Here's the problem, dad and mom. If our homes are not separated away from the world system under the Lord, and we bring worldliness into our homes, odds are you're going to survive it. You may lose your marriage. You may commit adultery. You may become... You may have a problem with alcohol. You may have a problem with drugs. You may go bankrupt. Something may happen to you. But most of the time, like Lot, we walk out of it. We walk out of it, but we pay a high price. And the high price is our family couldn't withstand the worldliness. When you read chapter 19, verses 30 to 38, you will find that Lot's two daughters that come out of there come out with a worldly mindset and they live a worldly life and they participate in the insanity of the world system. When you come to verse number 30 or verse 31, it says, And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old. There's not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our dad drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. They made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down or when she rose. It came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesterday night with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger rose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their dad. The firstborn bare a son and calls his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. The younger, she also bare a son and called his name Beenemy, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. And when you read the story of the nation of Israel, you will find that those two boys tormented the nation of Israel for many, many years. Lot pitched his tent toward worldliness. It was a natural slide to dwell into worldliness. 
God reached out to correct him. He didn't see it. Now he's sitting in the gate. Now he's identified with worldliness. The problem is, God was coming. And Lot could do nothing about it. And he lost everything he had. I would say unto you, I don't want that in my home. And you shouldn't want that in your home. Amen. Pastor, how do I determine if, my, if I'm leading my home into a non-separated worldly position? I mean, does that mean I have to live perfectly? No. But I think you're looking for love. The Bible said, if any man love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You're looking for that lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and you're looking for that pride of the life. You need to look into the details of your home. Satan is the prince and power of the air. You need to look into what you're letting in your home, how your home is organized, what your home is anchored in. Look at the direction of your children. Um, Bring up righteousness in your home and see what your kids do. Men, bring up righteousness and see what your wife does. Ladies, bring up righteousness and see what your man does. Just present some type of righteousness. If you feel a burr, you feel a repel, you feel an excuse, you feel a drive, you feel a pull apart, then you probably know you got a problem with worldliness. Pastor, what if the decision is not mine to make in the home? I, I see... But I'm not the one making the decision and the home's being driven this direction. Then you have something called prayer and we have a God that answers our prayer. Right? And you better pray. Separated away from worldliness to righteousness. So go home tonight. Stand in the middle of your home like I will and say, Jesus, are you welcome in this home? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lot is a graphic picture of a non-separated home. Choice made by the leader of the home to move his family into a worldly situation. I'm sure the city was beautiful. I'm sure that it was attractive and fun. Nothing wrong with that. The wrong was that it was a very wicked place. Lot made a decision, really and truthfully, when he shouldn't have done that. He should have fixed his problem, and then he made a decision to separate away from righteousness to there. A non-separated home is a decision. We all make them. Oh, he paid a deep price. A deep price. One day when we see Lot in heaven. 
he'd probably say, well, if I could do that over again. Lord, I, I don't want our homes to be worldly homes. We're, we're mostly adults in this room. We may survive it. We may walk away. We may be hurt, pain, and loss. But our children are not going to survive it. There's no way they're going to survive it. And so our responsibility is to see that they don't have to. Give us wisdom. Give us courage. Give us faith. Give us homes that are separated unto you. I beg you to do that, Lord. We love you and thank you now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Brother Rod, what did you choose to go home with? One verse of Savior like a shepherd lead us. All right, let's stand. Let's sing our song. Concentrate on what we're singing. Let the Lord finish that in your heart. And I'll see you back on Sunday. tender care in thy pleasant pastures feed us for our use thy folds prepared blessed Jesus blessed Jesus thou was bought us done we are blessed Jesus blessed Jesus thou was bought us done we are Good night, everyone. You are dismissed.